greatest intercontinental champion of all time. I'm gonna show all you what Ludwig Borger is all about. Presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, I am doing great today. It's always beautiful when you're here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you just love Knoxville. You love. Okay, look, man, I don't think you can say it enough. I just don't think you can say Knoxville is one of the coolest places in the world enough. Now, obviously, you know, uh, this would be uh, the first week of JPWA getting underway, which is uh, very cool. But I guess this will be the last, technically, the last session of 2000, or 2020, uh, 2020. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we started out strong, and all of a sudden we got cut down for a little bit, and we had to rearrange the dates. So, yeah, this is going to be the last one of 2020, but uh, we will be back in, uh, uh, of course, January, and, and we're, we're just getting ready for the fall and getting ready for the change of season after a pretty brutal and hot summertime. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to a hell of a, hell of a group this time around. Nice. Love it. Now, you know, for today's episode, wanted to focus on SummerSlam 93 last week, but since Bullet Bob, you know, obviously great friend uh, of yours and, and his family, very, very close to you, felt like we should make the tribute episode last week to Bullet Bob. So obviously we would have recorded on the 30th, which is the actual date of 1993, the actual date of SummerSlam 93, which we wanted to cover. So basically, we're going to you know fast forward a little bit and cover it kind of technically a week later. But you know, I guess you know no one's going to mind. I hope on that. On that. Well, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> so really, wanted to kind of focus on SummerSlam 93, which I don't know what your like initial thoughts of, but me, I loved it at the time and went back and watched it and kind of just I still I don't know what it is. I, I love. That show, I don't know if it's the time period, I don't know if it's just the matches, I don't know if it's the guys, but I just love the 93 here in the WWF. I felt like uh, it was different without Hogan there. I mean, this was the first pay-per-view sans the Hulkster, and it was just a kind of a different vibe to it, and definitely that's for sure. And you're losing, you know, the big gun, but it was still great to me, and I still love this pay-per-view. I I think uh, that was during the time where WWE was uh, just coming back from the transition, going through the transition, uh, making sure everything was sound and and ready to to go in in case there was uh, uh, any, any disruptions along the way. And 
Uh, yeah, I, I think everybody was was in the mood to see what was going to happen next. And since um, uh, doing the deal with Jim Cornette and, and offering us the, the thing at uh, uh, SummerSlam with the Steiners, we, we oh man, I, I got to tell you, I remember being excited for it. We, we made a couple TVs uh, prior to this and, um, you know, as you do when you come in, you're going to work with uh, the champions. They're going to put you over. We're going to do a little, a little something here to get interest, whatever it may be. We had the advantage of being in uh, Detroit too, you know, home of the Steiner. So uh, it was, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good match. I thought it was a pretty good card. I got to agree with you. You know, even though Lex, that was that was the time of the Lex Express, and <clears throat> he was working with Yoko that night, and uh, did not did not get the championship. So, you know, uh I, but but at the same time the the crowd was good and uh uh the Steiners were great. So, it was it it was a different time. It was a uh a crazy time, but at the, at the same time, you know, we we had a hell of a match. Yes, I definitely want to get into that in, in just you know one minute. But you mentioned, and we've talked about this before, getting offered to you know SummerSlam. Cornette is there, and then he yeah, he wants to bring you guys in. What was kind of said like it wasn't going to be long term? Basically, they they wanted you for SummerSlam, and and like we'll see what happens. Is that kind of the, the gist of it? Well, that was the gist of it. Nobody ever sat us down and said how long it was going to be. The the, the longest conversation we had about uh, our part in SummerSlam was um, we we were getting an opportunity, you know, one-time shot. We'll see what happens from there. And, of course, uh, we had a, a match laid out. The Steiners were used to working with Jim, and they enjoyed his, his – uh, approach to laying out a match and and you know they they liked the fact that uh you know somebody had a plan for them and and knew where we were going on this match so uh because i think at that time it was a little bit different that not everybody was getting um straight signals and and everybody was uh not everybody but a lot of guys seemed to be uh, looking around for answers, and um, at least this was my interpretation of what was going on. So, you know, nobody said this was just going to be for a little bit. They just said, let's see what happens. And we had a, a, a deal going to Japan the next year too. After we did a Survivor Series, somehow Survivor Series came into the the mix too. I think Jim was. You know, giving them ideas and say, let's do the the Rock and Roll Express and bodies at the Survivor Series. And but I never, you know, I was never listening to the full conversations, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't asking. You know, I was just trying to be where I needed to be. And if you wanted us here, great. And if we needed to be there, even better. As far as like who you're speaking with, is it just him speaking to Vince, or are you guys talking to JJ Dillon, who's the head of talent relations? Oh no, no, no! It was all Jim. I mean, we, Jim, Jim was uh, handling things, and if I if I talked to uh, anybody else during that time, it was it was pretty much uh, on a need to know basis. I would think, you know, if, if nobody wanted to tell me, I wasn't uh, I wasn't going to pest and be a pest. You know, I had been a pest in the past. Say that five times. I've been a pest in the past. Okay. Anyway, uh, and and I had already pretty much resigned myself to. All right. If you want us, you do. If you don't, you don't. And uh, I'm not even so sure they even wanted us then. But we were a match. You know, at least they knew if 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 we were going to be in a match, we were going to put our hearts into it. Uh, we were going to make the best of the match, but I, I don't even know if they cared about that. I think they, they were happy to have Jim uh, around and on board for the uh, as a spokesman, but that, that's all we needed to know because wherever we were going to be, um, it was going to be in conjunction with Smoky Mountain. So, uh, yeah, we weren't we, – we knew if we needed to know something, Jim would tell us. 
Now, with Cornette kind of playing you know, a bigger role with, with Yokozuna really at the time, too, is there any talk of kind of being associated with, like, the, a main event actor or anything like that, or just Steiner Brothers, that's it, like, that's the focus? No, yeah, that that was the Steiners, but the Steiners left shortly after we got there, too. And I was smart enough to know, um, just looking around who was – in the office, uh, around the office, and uh, you know, I I I knew Pat Patterson before we got there, and I don't know that I made that great of an impression on him when I first met him, but but once again, um, that's that's all on me. Uh, in, in getting there, I was I was like, man, um, you know, I, I, the the backstage was was different. Uh, of course, it was different because it was WWF at that time. But I mean, it was a lot of the same guys I'd been around and and worked with and in different areas. But it was different in, in the fact that you know we we had a couple TV matches, and I remember somebody came over and said, "Hey, Pat wants to talk to you about your TV matches." And uh, I'm thinking he's going to say, boy, you guys did great, but I want you to do this, and you did that, but I want you to do that again. Well, we got over, and he just told us we rushed. We were horrible. We didn't sell for the guys. And I'm thinking, well, it was an enhancement match, and we were going against the Steiners. So anyway, it was one of those things where I got the impression right away that uh, I don't care what you guys have done. You haven't done it for here. You haven't got over with me. You're not going to get over with me. That kind of stuff. So mm. I wasn't asking a lot of questions, and and that's on me because I just felt okay. You you pretty much pretty much told me this is what you thought, and uh, I'm not going to change it. Was Bruce back at this point, or was he still? Yeah, gone? No, Bruce okay. was there. Bruce was there, but I didn't see. Again, you know, having somebody in the business, and especially in the office, you you it's it's a touchy deal, and. I never wanted to push that envelope, never wanted to breach that and do any of that stuff because it's very uncomfortable. Uh, You know, you don't want to put anybody in position when they can't tell you something, they can't tell you something. So please don't ask. And those who know don't talk and those who talk don't know. And I I learned that a while back. And I just uh, pretty much accepted it. And that's one. That's another reason I never really made waves when I was there. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the squeaky wheel. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna do it on my own, and I wasn't gonna rely on anybody else. And but at the same time, it is a relationship business, and I was terrible at cultivating those relationships. That's not the only reason. I mean, if if they saw anything in us, then it would have been seen. But um, I have I have no complaints. I have no one to blame for anything that didn't happen because I wanted to, wanted it to happen on myself. Any relationship with Vince McMahon at all or no? Not really. I, again, I admit Vince throughout the years, but he, he was always um, that guy. He's Vince. And that, that can be really... Uh, <laughs> Some lofty. He 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 breathed that rarefied air, and and he was uh, not not of the same species, pretty much. But but there were times when he could. We would see him in the bar after the shows. That's when he would still go out where the boys would and talk, and he'd be congenial. But you know, again, I just was always watching what I said and always on guard, but didn't know how to react, and. Uh, Again, WWE was in a different state, was in a different uh, frame of mind, I guess, than they are now. They were down from the the trial and uh, just trying to come back. So business was not really great then, too. And uh, I was never in the the habit of making clicks or, or joining a group just because. No, man, it had to be because I wanted to be there. Yeah, sometimes I did, and sometimes, most of the time I didn't. I mean, I was just happy being on my own. But you can't be like that. You have to. You have to have that drive. You have to have that ambition. 
Uh, and when, when we had SummerSlam, I thought, man, if we could get a program with the Steiners, this would be great. But once again, you know, they had a different direction. Now, if we can get to the show, of course, like I mentioned before, August 30th, 1993, the World Wrestling Federation presents SummerSlam from Auburn Hills, Michigan. The venue, of course, was the Palace of Auburn Hills. Attendance, 23,954. Huge house. Obviously, a big sellout there. You remember this being a jam-packed house? I do. I remember uh, Scott's sister and mom being there, too. Scott and Rick. That's his mom, too. Uh, Her and their sister were there, and um, kind of a cool place. You know, it was was, uh, packed. Aaron Neville was there, I think, too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I remember seeing people backstage and stuff, you know. So, Um, but yeah, it it was a nice building, nice house. We're happy. A little bit different than Smoky Mountain, right? The twenty-four thousand opposed to uh, you know twelve hundred or whatever. Well, just slightly different than Smoky Mountain. We were, you know, we we weren't really expecting to uh, compare Beckley, West Virginia, and Detroit, but you know, there there <laughs> there, there were some comparisons. Love it. Now, really, the the first match of the night. Technically speaking, of course, uh, Owen Hart in the dark match defeats Barry Horowitz. I doubt you're going to you know, remember the dark match or even see the dark match. Is that something that anybody pays attention to besides the production team? Ah, some guys do, but again, you're right. We were we were doing something right then. I remember we, we had to do something before the show. But, uh, yeah, I, I, honest to goodness, don't remember that. That's more for just production setup, you know, make, make sure everything got everything right. Basically, right. yeah. Not really anybody yeah. really paying too much attention to it. No, no. Quite honestly, no. <laughs> they really don't. So, The first match of the night, Razor Ramon defeats the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Pretty, if you look at it, I know DiBiase just might be you know, him fading away from the WWF at this point. Really, though, I mean, this is a star-studded match. I mean, Ramon's a big star. DiBiase was a big star. Technically, still kind of is a big star at this point, right? I mean, it's a pretty good opener. Yeah, by all means. But I think Ted was leaving at this time. That was yes. his last show, right? Yep. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think that, that was probably the mindset. You know, hey, uh, Teddy's not even going to be here. Let's just put Razor over in the first match and and go from there. So, but yeah, that that is a hell of a match. I, I don't remember seeing that either. But no doubt it was a hell of a match just knowing who was involved. It's a real kind of changing of the guard, you think about it, because DiBiase was a mainstay for there, you know, for six or seven years. I mean, he was a big star. You, this is literally his last, you know, WWF match. This is going to be his last show. Hogan, King of the Ring, was basically his last. I know he would do some some touring in Europe and kind of still be a headliner. But really, he's gone in the eyes of the American fans. So, you know, it's it's really a changing of the guard. You're getting a lot of new stars. There's a new generation era is coming in. Uh, Luger, like we said, is, is going to be in the main event. Brett is a big star. He just won the King of the Ring. He's going to be in a big feud with Jerry Lawler. So, I mean, are you kind of sensing here, like, you know, this is a huge kind of sentimental pay-per-view where a lot of changes are happening, or you don't even notice stuff like that? Well, we we did notice that there were some uh, interesting finishes going on. Um, hmm. You know, that, 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 as I said, there was an attitude backstage. Uh, even though we hadn't been working there at all, we just made some TVs, but there was an attitude backstage. Everybody knew about the trial. Everybody didn't know or knew that it it had drained uh you know the finances and mm-hmm. and but nobody really knew what the future held and uh you but you couldn't help but see guys coming and going you know because every time somebody leaves you had to have uh, uh somebody fill them fill, fill their spot so uh i i don't i don't think we understood it necessarily then, because we weren't 
I sir, I certainly wasn't privy to what was going on behind the scenes. You know, I, I could guess and, and surmise all I wanted, but um, you know, I, I knew there there had been uh, cutbacks and and salary caps and things like this. But uh, I just figured Teddy, you know, Teddy always said he knew the difference between uh, a position and just a spot. And Teddy wanted a position wherever he went, and rightfully so, because Teddy, uh, Teddy's that guy. Teddy knew, and and if you're smart enough to know, smart enough to pull it off, that's where you need to be. He really, I mean, '93 is pretty much his last year as a wrestler. He'd basically retire in the middle or the end of November after a big tour with All Japan Pro Wrestling, mostly teaming with Hanson a lot, and he had a couple singles matches, but. You know, he would have a match for the NWA in October of 93 with the Funkster, a match in Amarillo, Texas against Tito. But, I mean, he's basically going to be gone and retired, but he had a lot of neck issues. And, and obviously, I think that played a big factor as well, that he was kind of feeling the pain and definitely, definitely feeling that neck injury. The neck issues will kill you forever. And uh, yeah, Teddy Teddy's had had a bad neck for a long time, and and I understand. I certainly understand. Um, you know, some some guys want want to go uh, until they're seventy, and I don't. Uh, I can't. You know, seventy uh, or Teddy knew he couldn't. Uh, you know, the body just wears down. You can't do what you once did. If you want to, you know, run the risk. Of, of getting hurt or or worse, embarrassing yourself and getting hurt, um, you know, I think Ted made the right call. He, he optioned out, and he knew he'd made his uh, uh, cemented his legacy, and um, that was that for him. Now, let's get to the match of the evening. I don't know if you'll disagree with that part or not, but it, to me, the match of the evening, the WWF World Tag Team title match, the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner, in their hometown, defeat the Heavenly Bodies. Gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey, Dr. Desire, Tom Pritchard with James E. Cornette. Not a 10-minute match. Love this match. Going back and watching it, too. It's awesome. It's exciting. The tag team maneuvers of the Heavenly Bodies, maybe second to none. You could throw some Midnight Express out there, but, I mean, the tag Certainly. team maneuvers are on point. Uh, I love uh, the Steiner brothers' offense. I mean, you can't get much better than, um, you know, them kicking some ass. But what were your thoughts uh, on the match? I mean, obviously, you're you're in the match. But what did you think about wrestling uh, the Steiner brothers? Well, yeah, again, it was it was a it was a great opportunity, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we had heard that, that Scott and Rick could be difficult at times, and I'm going, oh, geez. Yeah, that's all we need because <laughs> you, you always have somebody who who wants to play games and and I just man at that age at that point um, I was thirty three I think yeah I just turned thirty three and I anyway come to find out that was just a rib because Scott and Rick want to work they they don't have time for that crap either and they love Jimmy and you know of course the Midnight Express influence is there and, and uh, we went over it Jimmy had it laid out we had it laid out Steiners loved it hell put him over like a million bucks so I I really do think I think it's a wonderful match and it's a great match and um, yeah the tag team stuff uh, Midnight Express playbook and and uh, <laughs> that worked. It really did. Love the the slide through by Jimmy Del Rey. It's one of my favorite ones. And you give the bulldog. You know what I mean? He slides yeah. through. He's distracted. You give the bulldog. That's an awesome one. Love that move. Yeah, it's a blind tag. That's actually legal too. And 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 it's it's good because the babyface doesn't see it coming. But it's all legal, and the referee has to tell him no. You you just missed it, you know. So I mean, there was some stuff in there. A heel doesn't have to be heel and, and cheat the whole time. A heel is still a good wrestler. He's just an asshole, and and he's trying to find an advantage in there. So mm-hmm. and the Steiners worked with us all the time on the double team stuff too, and and they were good with double team stuff as well. So yeah, that that really was a good match. It was a fun match. 
man, the Thunder Brothers are only kind of there for six more months, too. So, I mean, they're kind of working yeah. their way in and out of there. But you agree, match of the night? Did you see many of the other matches? Because so many people will say that was the match of the night. Despite the card being great and having some other great matches, so many people say that was the match of the night. I I didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of the other matches. But, but I will say that, uh, you know, yeah, once again, I think it was just a testimony to this. To, to what was going on with uh, the Steiners leaving about six months later too. You know, Jim had had asked Pat if uh, they might consider dropping the titles to us. You know, in Tennessee, he had the Steiners for a week and was going to work with us in Tennessee and ask him if they could drop the titles, you know, at the beginning of the week and we'll drop them back when they leave. Uh, Pat said, well, they're, they're about to drop them to the Quebecers. So, you know, they they didn't even have the belts uh, shortly after we worked with them either. And they, they dropped them to, uh, oh. Jacques and Pierre. Jacques and Pierre. Thank you, man. I just went blank. So, yeah, uh, I, I thought it was a hell of a match. I really do. And I think um, it would have been great to, uh, to get to beat him for the titles and drop them back to him, give us some credibility. Who knows? Uh, I don't think it would have changed things necessarily in the course of wrestling history, uh, but it would have been a cool time. It would have been a cool thing. And, and again, we were anybody who was paying attention could tell that, that the winds of change were blowing backstage at WWE. Mm, for sure. As far as the hometown crowd, they were nuts. I mean, they uh, they absolutely loved them. Some uh, some Steiner brothers that played like a cool factor for you in the crowd. Like you could basically you know do some stuff, and the crowd is going to pop huge. You know, you're going to get great reactions. Oh yeah! Anytime you got a reaction like that, anytime you got to go into somebody's hometown or their home territory, just like the Rock and Roll man, Rock and Roll Express. If we we'd go around the the Carolinas or the, the West Virginia areas in Smoky Mountain, they they were over for so long with so many people. Um, you know, that, that was just part of it. And Detroit was wild that night. Uh, yeah, it was it was very cool. And, and any time you had a rocking crowd like that, it's, it's great to perform in. With the Steiner brothers, you said, like, they were ribbing you guys or somebody was ribbing you guys about them being difficult to work with. Are they stiff at all? Because, you know, you hear some guys saying, like, oh, they stay, you know, they stiff the shit out of the guys, and they look like they're, you know, they're killers. Obviously, they're really tough guys in, in real life. Like, are they stiff at all? No, not with us. They, they weren't stiff. You're going to feel their stuff, um, but what I, what I define as stiff is when it hurts and they're hitting you in unsafe places. Again, Rick and Scott were, were pros, and uh, they knew – you know, how to hit you, where to hit you, why to hit you, and all that stuff. So, yeah, they weren't stiff with us at all. They were total pros. You like their uh, their style of uh, their style of offense? Yeah, actually I do. You like somebody to come at you and who can hit you and make it look like you're taking your head off, and uh, they're not. You know, that's, that's just art. That's just uh, business. And uh, you're going to feel some stuff once in a while. And it's, you should feel some stuff once in a while, physicality. And uh, Scott and Rick were, were physical, but uh, they didn't hurt us. I, you know, if they hurt somebody else, it might have been a reason or it might have been an accident. But, uh, no, I liked working with them. So the next match is for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Shawn Michaels defeats Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, by countout. The only thing that kind of struck me with this match, not as good as you would think on paper with those two names. Odd, right? I mean, Michael's one of the best. Perfect's one of the best. You just, I don't know, maybe the expectations are high. And I even remember you know, watching this when I'm, you know, 11-year-old uh, punk kid watching this saying like, well, you know, I kind of wanted that, you know, you weren't getting as excited over that, uh, you know, as you, as you thought you would be. But rewatching it, Many, many times. It's just not as good. I don't know, chemistry or, or what? You know, it could have had something to do with that, but I know Sean and uh, Kurt were great friends. Um, and, and and it could have been 
the uh, circumstances of the day or the night. I mean, I, I don't know because, again, that was in 93, and a lot of things were different. And um, it, it was in the era, I think, where everybody would stay out the night before a pay-per-view and, you know, uh, say their prayers and take their vitamins up until 4.30 in the morning and then get up and go to the pay-per-view. But I don't know if that's the case or not. You know, we I don't think... I don't think we stayed up the night before SummerSlam, but, you know, some guys did. It could be that, but then again, may have nothing to do with it. That's just my surmising. Jimmy Del Rey wasn't out there, you know, living it up, partying? I'm surprised. Ah, well, he might have snuck out after I went to bed. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Interesting, too, because perfect at this point, He's if you, you know, you watch King of the Ring 93, him versus Brett, is you know, to me it's a five star classic, just an unbelievable match. So perfect could still go at this point. I guess one of those things that even though you have two good guys and on paper the match could be good, maybe chemistry reasons or you know like you're saying maybe some outside reasons, match you know maybe may not live up to expectations. Yeah, because you're right. Kurt Kurt Henning was one of the he now Kurt was definitely in the top five back then. Uh, and Sean maybe was. I'm not sure how how, how really great he was in '93. He was kind of hitting his stride, mm-hmm. getting there, yep. getting there. Yeah, you know, and and it it it, it could have been a, a number of factors, but but Henning at that time, uh, yeah, he 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 might have just uh, not felt it that night, and that happens too. I mean, it very well could have been a number of things. The next matchup, kind of a little bit of an underrated match. It's pretty short, though. IRS, Erwin Arshister, Mike Rotunda defeats 1-2-3 kid, Sean Waldman. Kind of odd that the kid lost here, but there's always speculation that there was, I guess, uh, some politics involved with this, and kid might have been in the doghouse. It's kind of odd. He was kind of getting a little bit of a push. And then all of a sudden he's losing the IRS on the SummerSlam pay-per-view. Well, there's one thing I do know that sometimes you can be in the doghouse and know it. And sometimes you can be in the doghouse and not know it. But I'm sure Sean knew it. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, paid paid the price. But um, once again, you know, Sean was... Uh, wasn't that far along in WWE yet either. And he was just mm-hmm. uh, yep. getting his feet wet and, and learning the process. I mean, he, I'm sure he already had a good idea, but he was still learning and, and feeling things out. So uh, if if they had Mike beat him, there was a reason for that too. And Rotunda, let's be honest, I mean, he's pretty underrated. I mean, he, he's a great, oh, great, 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 great performer. I'll say Mike is, is hugely underrated. Uh, he is a tremendous performer. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, he's also one of those quieter guys that is almost, uh, uh, disturbingly and very scaringly quiet at times to where, almost like a Bob Armstrong where he's, well, Bob, Bob didn't take Bob as long to, uh, to light his fuse and go off, but Mike, it took a little longer, I think, and Mike also had that quiet confidence. He, you know, a lion doesn't have to tell you he's a lion, and Mike didn't mm-hmm. have to tell you he was great, and, and he was. He just demonstrated it, uh, not only in the ring, but outside the ring. He had respect. He's another guy, you know, one of those fellows who who knew what he could do and wasn't afraid to show you if he had to. was hoping he didn't have to because he wanted to get along with you, but... You know, Mike was highly underrated. He he certainly had the talent to go and do anything he wanted to do. I think the thing is, I guess, the IRS gimmick is, you know, maybe not the greatest gimmick, although it did work. I mean, he was really, really good. Hold on. on. It was a hell of a lot better than Zip. Let me tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest gimmick, but <laughs> you know, he did with he did with DiBiase, the million yeah. man. He yeah. did, he had a, he had a good run in there. So I'm not well, feeling all that money, sorry for him. Money Inc. is pretty damn good. It's yeah. a pretty legendary team. Right, right. So I mean, he he was okay. He he had a pretty good run. He had a couple runs. Now the next match is actually a great match as well. 
guests. I mean, you I mean, you guys have a match tonight. You guys did have a few matches to really kind of uh, live up to here. So, Bret Hart defeats Doink the Clown via DQ. Matt Bourne, great worker. Love this crazy heel gimmick. And obviously, he's with Jerry Lawler because Lawler is trying to get out of the match by saying, you know, he's hurt, he can't do it, so Doink is the sub. Which almost, if you look at it in terms of like work rate, it's like, okay, you put Bourne in there against Bray, you're going to get a great match. Lawler's great, but it's just funny because you think you're downgrading, but you may be upgrading as far as uh, some work rate with uh, Matt Bourne, right, as the evil doink? Well, once again, I think it's all a matter of who's doing the subjective thinking and, and booking and things like that because um, you're you're going to have – a hell of a wrestling match and, and, and a hell of a, uh, uh, showmanship match as well with Brett and Lawler. But, you know, when you have a WWE inspired gimmick, like Doink the Clown, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I can understand the thinking in that, in that way, but, uh, Matt could also wrestle. Matt could also work. He, he knew how to tell a story and you, you know, there's, Two schools of thought on Doink and Matt. You either love him or you hate him. And I loved Matt. Uh, he, he was <laughs> I, I, I kind of like those um, stray dogs or stray animals who who you know they might be hanging around for a little bit and look your way. If you look over at them, they turn away real quick and then you throw them a ball and they say, "Oh, let me see. I want to play with you," you know, or they don't. And and Matt was one of those guys. He was a mangy, stray dog who, if he liked you, he'd wag his tail and come up to you and 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 be your friend. And and I got that with him because I I really think Matt was was a was a guy who, you know, grew up with his with his dad in the business. Tough Tony born, and, and part part of that uh, kinship I had with Matt was the fact that. I would listen to Paul Bosch tell stories about tough Tony Bourne back in the days of Texas in the 50s and 60s and things like that. And, um, you know, it fascinated me. Now I'm meeting Matt, and I'm, I'm looking at all of Matt's uh, uh, personality uh, traits and character defects, and I'm going, yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, it, it's it's those um, were the kind of <laughs> mangy beings I hung around because I was a mangy being myself, I guess. And, and watching, you know, watching performers doink the clown, um, it added or took away however you wanted to, to, to perceive it. But, you know, uh, Matt wasn't perfect, but, but he took a gimmick like doink and, and tried to make it as perfect and personable as he could. You know, it was a takeoff of Krusty the Clown, Krusty the Clown, and what a better uh, guy to fill the shoes of Krusty the Clown than Matt Bourne, because he was Krusty. You know, he smoked a cigarette and uh, unlaced his boots, and you know, wouldn't take a shower for for three days or three weeks, whichever. And, you know, whether he needed one or not, he'd wait. You know, so uh, you know that was. That was all Titan Sports or WWE back then, thinking, well, Lawler he, he says he's the king, but he's in Memphis. And, and of course, Vince had already been down there. He knew what it was, but it just doesn't resonate with him unless it's WWF. And, uh, you know, but, but again, I'm just surmising and speculating. It could be none of the above. And, and it, uh, it's been in that category many times for me. So while Brett is having this great match with Doink, Jerry Lawler, who pretended to be injured on crutches, gets in the ring, interferes, costs Brett the victory. I mean, he really wins by DQ, but it costs him the clean win. So then the referee starts the match, and Jerry Lawler is going to wrestle Brett. Brett, you think, gets the win, but does such a damage and beats up Lawler after the bell that the ref has reversed the decision, and Jerry Lawler wins by disqualification. Now, this sequence between Brett and Doink and Lawler and Brett, it's so well done, and it's so great. 
Uh, I just love it, especially watching it again. It's like, man, that was so excellently done. And it got so much heat on Lawler because he's on the stretcher going to the back with his hand in the air, and you hear Finkel go, and the ref has reversed the decision. The match is Jerry Lawler. Right. And, you know, he can't walk. He can't move. But he's raising his – barely raising his hand for the right. victory. You know, and as a fan, you're like, what? Brett got screwed. So, I mean, that was just awesome. I mean, all, all matches for both of them, but just so well done getting heat on Lawler there. Yeah, yeah, because they were all three professionals, and they all three knew what was going to work for the match, and they all three had instinct, and they had feeling, and it was authentic. And, and even the silliness and craziness was authentic. It was something that, that you said, it was it just fit so well together. And uh, it was entertaining, and, and that's what they were looking for. So um, timing in something like that is is hard to define, hard to explain, but you have to watch it and you have to feel it. It It, it is like studying a, a stand-up comedian, uh, kill, watch him kill the room, you know, but he had to, he had to learn that timing somewhere. He had to feel it and, and get out there and fail on a few occasions. And that's, that's what guys like Lawler and Matt and Brett did uh, to get to that moment. So, um, that's why it was so good because you had guys who, who had experience uh, and had talent and combined it all together and, and to give everybody that moment. Now, here's a really interesting one. After a great, you know, somewhat few weeks and, and a great vignettes of uh, debuts here, Ludwig Borga defeats Marty Jannetty. About five minutes or so. It's actually, to me, a really entertaining match. Really gets over Borg as this monster heel. Might throw some of the best punches, although they don't look so much worked as they look yeah. legit that, 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 that I've seen. Obviously, uh, an ex-champion boxer um, from Finland. So, I mean, he's probably, you know, legit. Obviously, he fought MMA, too, legit guy. But what do you think of Ludwig Borg? I mean, possibly <sighs> one of the best looks. Like, just just look at the guy. What great look for wrestling. Yeah, yeah, he had a great look, but he wasn't very personable. He was always sour, and he wasn't really, uh, didn't laugh, didn't smile. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I remember trying to to joke with him one time. Uh, I was getting my hair cut at the arena. We have you know, from one of the makeup girls, and uh, he walked through, and I said, "I want my hair to look like that." You know, his hair cut, and goes, "You have to have balls to wear this," and walked away. And I went, oh, "Okay, <laughs> all right, I got you." You know, so it it just um, he he was a badass looking guy, but I don't know that he ever. Uh, got what this was about either. You know, it's like uh, you have some badasses, and that's good that you're a tr- legit badass, but then you have to um, parlay that into a career and into into drawing money, and I don't know that a whole lot of them understood that. They were just thinking if they're legit badasses, they'd just be legit badasses and it'll work. You know, but there's a lot more to it than that. And that's kind of where Borga was. Yes. Uh, for sure. The next match up, rest in peace match. The Undertaker defeats Giant Gonzalez with Harvey Wimpleman. You feeling bad that uh, Taker's got to work with uh, Gonzalez here, or is that just a you know, par for the course? I think that was par for the course. You know, it was yeah, it was a big guy, and I think Taker knew it was his responsibility to do get what he could get with him and 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 do what he can do. So, yeah, I mean, once again, where where are your giant Gonzaleses? I, I saw one guy on the uh, After Dark or Fight Club or whatever. Underground. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Underground a couple of weeks ago, a big guy. But there, I don't see any, for lack of a better term, freaks and geeks. And a uh, huge fan of the circus, huge fan of uh, seeing odd, uh, odd and different sights and beings and things, and 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 you know there used to be more special people in the business, and I don't see them. I mean, I was never a big guy, so I'm not screaming, uh, do it because I was such 
such a giant. That's not what I'm saying. You need something for everybody on the card, but you also need that one guy or two guys at the most, like an Andre, like a Flair, or like an Undertaker, a Gonzalez, a Kane, you know, Grizzly Smith, the guys who tower over people because they, they're they special. They look special. They are special. They're not your average bear. So, um, no, I, I knew Taker, if you didn't have anybody to, to put him with, by God, put him with another giant. I agree. Not a great match, but, you know, it's probably hard to have a great match with the Giant Gonzalez. Uh, he, you know, who's probably legit seven five or whatever. I mean, he's just a man with a massive, massive dude. Uh, he made Undertaker look pretty damn small, and Undertaker's six ten, so pretty, you know, pretty impressive just to to look at. Like you're right, the the freaks not gonna have a, a great match. Although the crowd, you know, is is pretty into Undertaker, so I mean, it, it gets kind of the the point over while not technically being a great work rate match. Yeah, and and once again, I always say this uh, in class. I've never heard anyone leaving the arena saying, boy, what a great hammerlock John Cena put on tonight. So, you know, it's all perception and it's the appearance. And if you have a big giant uh, go in the ring, you don't want him to do things everybody else does. You want him to do unique and different moves and holds and things like that. So uh, not going to be a technical masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, you know, you you, you got to make sure whatever he does is is clearly mapped out and and he's comfortable for him to do and comfortable for the guy to take. And my opinion would be, don't have him do a lot of stuff. Have it, everything he does mean something, and then have the time in between uh, filled with with other things like a traffic cop, or a distraction, or something, and. Uh, you know, plan it out from there. shouldn't have, Shouldn't be too hard. I mean, you you want to you want to make sure it goes smoothly. So, do do the good things. Stay away from the stuff that might be touchy or iffy. Next match is a six man tag: the Smoky Guns, Bart Gun, and Billy Gun, and Tatanka defeat Bam Bam Bigelow and the Head Shrinkers, Fatu and Samu, with Afa and Luna Vashan. Nothing really here to uh, write home about, but, uh, you know, they did get a fair amount of time in this match. It's just, you know, six pretty good guys. Yeah, put put a match out there. Uh, you're right, six pretty good guys who were, who were just trying to find a way. You know, we worked with the, the head shrinkers a little bit later after this, too, at some of the house shows consistently. So, yeah, it's something to, to have on the card and, and – have something for everybody because, once again, I don't know if the Electric Express was going to going to hit hit your favorite um, your funny bone or whatever it is while you're watching. So, give them give them some guys that can work. Give them some guys that can look colorful and and uh, do some good stuff in the ring. Well, Bam Bam's great. Yeah, I mean the other guys are good too, but Bam Bam is, is great, oh, and exceptional. But uh, and not yeah, not really say anything bad about the other guys. But yeah, I, thought I would say Bam Bam exceptional over uh, everyone else in that match. So really, the main event of the evening: the Lex Express, Lex Luger defeats Yokozuna with Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. Wait. It's only by count out, and he does not win the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Still champion Yokozuna. What do you think about this? I mean, if you're going to go for it, Lex is going to get the win. Shouldn't he win the title? I I certainly thought so. Um, I, I I was a little baffled on this one, too, because he spent the summer in the bus and slammed him on the 4th of July, and here we go, and it's Electric Express. But I just don't think the heat was in the building. I don't think the heat was on the tour. I, I don't think uh, anybody in reality was – that much behind Luger, even though they um, they may have thought so at one time at at, at this, the culmination of the ma- of SummerSlam and the match. I remember afterwards they went a different direction. It was Lex and Davey, wasn't it, or was it? 
No, Luger would still be getting a big push, even up until, like, Survivor Series, he gets the big big win for the team. He pins Borga. Um, he wins the Royal Rumble. Him and Brett both uh, eliminate each other at the end and technically are co-winners. So he got a, another world title match at WrestleMania 10 against Yoko, oh, which right. he loses. Uh, but kind of because of, uh, you know, some referee interference. But, uh, you know, you can almost, you can almost say, you know, obviously they, they went with Brett over, over Luger in the end. But, he, I mean, he was still getting a little bit of a push. It almost felt like, what the hell are they doing here? Well, they probably felt like what the hell they were doing there, too. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't really have any any answers for that. I just know that you're right. If you're going to put the, the time and effort into it, then give the guy the title and let him put some time and effort into that. But it could have been, too, that, that um, somebody was around Lex during the bad days, as well as the good days, but but the bad days might have out, outdone the good days and, and – and when that report gets back, like, eh, maybe we don't want want this kind of headache with us, you know. I mean, I uh, again, my summation or uh, of the whole deal is, uh, who knows? I mean, if it was meant to be, it would have been, but obviously not. And um, I know Lex came in for the uh, World Bodybuilding. Federation, WBF, and then he, he kind of transferred over to the wrestling side. So I don't know. Maybe Vince saw him one way when he first saw him, and then when he watched his wrestling or, or caught his vibe, it wasn't resonating. I mean, there, there's so many so many different ideas and, and uh, conspiracy theories I can come up with, but the, the reality of the situation is he, he didn't have the confidence of the office at that time, and he never did, obviously, you know, except to do the tag deal. And that was it. And uh, sometimes that happens in showbiz. I don't know. I feel like, you know, with the slam and everything else, maybe he wasn't kind of getting over, you know, the office wasn't completely buying him. But I almost felt like everything was building. You almost had to give him the title at that point. It just felt like it's such a huge letdown that, you know, okay, Yokozuna's still champion. Like, oh, man, like, uh, like, I don't know about this. And, like, the count-out finish to end a pay-per-view was weak. Um, they, you know, they, they celebrated at the end with the confetti and everything else as if it was some big win. It was a horrible count-out win. <laughs> he, he shouldn't have been happy. You know, it just didn't feel like it was done, executed right uh, with the main event. And, and it probably wasn't. But, but that's what I'm saying is the circumstances might have been that he pissed off somebody or or whoever it was on the road watching every movie made mm-hmm. um, saw something that, that nobody else did. And and when they get sour on you, no matter who it is, if it's Vince or, or uh, in WCW, whoever was, was leading the charge there, if, if someone in power got sour on you, there wasn't a whole lot you could do um, unless you worked your way back into uh, your, your given position. But I, I honestly I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm just uh, thinking that, that you're right with the slam and, and leading up to, to SummerSlam. Um, it, it would have been a lot more enthusiastic, or maybe not. Hell, I don't know if Luger won the title. But, um, yeah, obviously somebody felt he didn't, he didn't need to be the guy. They were still relying on Yoko. Crazy to me, just uh, kind of crazy looking well, back. But. Yeah, but it's but 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 there, that's the thing. You're always uh, the, the crazy shit's going to happen, and there there's a reason for it. There there is a rhyme for it, and we don't always get to hear that. But again, let me let me uh, digress to I guess as this is playing. It was a couple weeks ago when I went to spend some time. Uh, looking over Paul Bosch's notes and papers from uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 40s, some of the things that I remember being at, uh, and you have the card laid out 
on a on a legal pad and you have notes to the side or you have something by a pay sheet and a note to the side and you don't know about that and later on you look and and you remember the the events of the night and you say this is why right here this is what caused the blow up and uh you don't know that for a fact you can only guess as as with anything in the past but you know Luger was a credible looking guy at the same time, he didn't love the business, and I think that could have been a big hang-up uh, when I say that because when you were the champion, you you were – I mean, you were 24-7 anyway, but, but as a champion, uh, you carried the whole company, and you knew it, and Vince wanted to hear from you every day, and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was constant. I don't know if Lex really was up for that either. So, who knows? I mean, you're right. Who knows? A uh, lot, a lot of things that that happen that just is a head scratcher until later on we we get to open that time capsule and say, "Oh, now I get it." I think there's a lot of things that work that way. Yes. Now, what's kind of your grand? Um... Rating like I would definitely give this show a big third thumbs up or the old uh, Siskel and Ebert two thumbs up. I, I I love the show. Maybe not the finish of the show, but you had Brett and Doink, you had Brett and Lawler. I like Ludwig. Michaels and and Perfect wasn't great, but still better than most. Um, Razor, Steiner Brothers and the Heavenly Bodies was great. Yeah, I thought I'll give it a thumbs up too. I thought it was a great night. It was a hell of a night. It was a. Uh, uh, you know, our first pay-per-view with WWE. And um, overall, I had a great experience with it. And and it was uh, a hell of a reaction and and fun to work with the Steiner brothers that night. So, yeah, I had to give it a thumbs up for sure. I think that is a great stopping point and a great time to mention your book, A Pro Wrestling Curriculum, Advice, Suggestions, and Stories to Help the Aspiring Pro Get to the next level, Dr. Tom Pritchard. Where can the fine folks get this great book? You can go to Amazon and type in Dr. Tom's book. It will come up. Or if you would like a personally signed autographed copy, you can go to my PayPal, which is drtompritchard at AOL.com. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I will uh, sign a copy of it and send it back to you for $25. Nice. Also, ProWrestlingTees.com. Check them out. There is a JPWA store, and there is a Dr. Tom Pritchard store. Get the Wanted Dead or Alive shirt. That is great. A Patreon page has also been set up where you can become a patron and support JPWA. Also, check out the website, JPWrestlingAcademy.com, for all things JPWA. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Dr. Tom at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, what else is going on? I know you're in full swing over at the JPWA. We have our last class of 2020 going on right now, and uh, we should be, as we are, we are speaking, should be in the second week and rocking and rolling. The fall session uh, should be going on, well, not full steam yet, but uh, leaving the station for sure. Getting ready, and this is uh, 12 weeks, August 31st through November 20th, the last class of this year, 2020. Nice. Uh, I love it. And, Dr. Tom, this has been great. I love taking a trip down memory lane, and like I said a million times, I love the uh, SummerSlam match against the Steiner brothers, just a, uh, you know, just a, a great memory. I remember it very vividly then, and rewatching it now, you know, I absolutely love it still to you know to this day. Yeah, I had a good time, and I do remember that match very, very well. And remember Scott and Rick uh, uh, that night, and uh, they've always been class acts, at least with me, they always have. So, uh, yeah, I thank them for that match and, and that night, and. Uh, Helping us get our foot in the door. Very, very cool. Great stuff. And, of course, thank you to the fine folks that join us each and every week right here 
on Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.